strong voices. It's not just about one state, it's not just about one community, it's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language, I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialized logics are inscribed upon our bodies and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we've got to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Hello, good morning and welcome to Strong Voices. We're coming to you live here on uh, Our New Country from the Calm Radio Studios here in Central Australia. We're also broadcasting to all nations through Vast Channel 911, Renate FM here in Abantua in the Red Centre, and we're also coming to you online at the Karma website at uh, karma.com.au. Today is Tuesday, the 6th of August, 2019. My name's Kyle Dowling, and I'm your host for Strong Voices. Today, and I'll be taking you all the way up until 12 o'clock. Coming up on the show today, uh, August 6th marks 74 years since the atomic bombs, since atomic bombs were dropped on uh, Hiroshima. Uh, later this week, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons will release a report calling on Australia to join the, Un- the United Nations Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. We're going to be hearing from a member of the uh, International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons uh, shortly on the program. Also, we're going to hear from uh, Daniel Featherstone, the current head of First Nations Media Australia, the peak body for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander media. He's going to be discussing the appointment of a new CEO and uh, discussing a bit about his role uh, than he's uh, been at as the general manager over the years. Also, uh, from Friday the 2nd to Monday the 5th of August, the Gama Festival took place. Uh, the event saw business leaders, political leaders, academics, many others this year uh, focusing on an Indigenous voice to Parliament and constitutional recognition. We're going to be hearing a bit of a package on uh, the Gama Festival this morning, but we're also going to be bringing to you uh, some of the conversations and responses from that throughout this week. As we know, we did have outside broadcasts as well, so we'll be able to hear some of that coming back throughout the week as well here on Strong Voices. And of course, as well, we're going to hear the very latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country. We're going to go to a quick break now, though, and then we'll be right back. Hey, this is Kathy Freeman. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. That's right, you're listening to Strong Voices here on uh, Karma Radio. Great to have your company this Monday morning. We're going to head to our first uh, story of Strong Voices. Uh, as mentioned, August 6th does mark the uh, 74th anniversary since atomic bombs were dropped on Hiroshima. Uh, later this week, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons will be releasing a report which is going to be calling on Australia to join the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Yesterday, I spoke with uh, Jem Rummeld, uh, the Australian Director of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. Well, uh, it's uh, great to have you on Calm Radio. Thanks very much for having me, Carl. Just first of all, can you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, who you are, where you're from and, and what you do? Certainly. Uh, yeah, I'm based in Wollongong and I'm working uh, for the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. Uh, our campaign is to 
encourage all nations to sign on to the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And my work in Australia is focused around encouraging, urging, pressuring the Australian government to sign on to this important treaty. So how and why did you become involved with ICANN, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons? I became involved in the campaign through uh, my involvement in the campaigns to stop radioactive waste dumps. First at Makati, north of Alice, campaign that probably many of your listeners would know about that took about eight years for the community led by the traditional owners to stop the federal government's plan to build a radioactive waste dump. So I was involved in that and with other anti-nuclear campaigns in Australia and that led me to um, learn about nuclear weapons, which seemed like a faraway notion at the time. I wasn't really aware of how Australia is involved in the global uh, nuclear weapons system, Um, but upon learning about how we are involved, that encouraged me to get involved with the campaign to make sure that at least Australia makes the right stand and gets on the right side of history of our global efforts to eliminate nuclear weapons. Can you paint a bit of a picture for us what Australia's current position is on, on nuclear weapons at the moment? So when looking at nuclear weapons, I find it useful to divide the world into roughly three categories. There are the nuclear-armed states, of which there are nine. Between them, there are 14,000 nuclear weapons. 91% of those are held between the US and Russia. So all of those nine nuclear-armed states are doing the wrong thing. They are all obliged to pursue nuclear disarmament, and they are all flouting that obligation and refusing to, to disarm. So that's one category. The second category is the vast majority of the world that uh, does not have nuclear weapons and do not claim to uh, need or use nuclear weapons in their defence policies at all. So these are the countries that don't have nuclear weapons, don't want them, and they're the ones that have really been leading the way to bring about the Nuclear Weapons Ban Treaty. So that's the second category. The third category is the countries like Australia uh, that include nuclear weapons in our defence policy. So we're saying in our defence policy that we're okay and that we anticipate nuclear weapons potentially being used on our behalf in certain circumstances by the United States. This is a problem, obviously, because it legitimises these weapons and it says that we're, you know, potentially happy for millions of citizens to be radioactively incinerated at some point somewhere in the world. This is a policy that we need to move on from because as long as we claim to support the use of nuclear weapons in some way, then that just serves as a continuous motivation to other countries to include these weapons in their defence policies or to acquire their own nuclear arsenal. So in that way, Australia is really on the wrong side and the Nuclear Weapon Ban Treaty provides a really uh, useful and important opportunity to declare that we don't support the use of nuclear weapons in any way and that we don't, we don't need them and that our defence policy will not be based on weapons of mass destruction. What, what are some of the other reasons do you think that Australia should join the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons? This treaty was negotiated and adopted in 2017 at the UN About 122 countries voted to adopt this treaty to put nuclear weapons in the same illegal category as the other weapons of mass destruction. So biological weapons, chemical weapons, landmines and cluster munitions, they have all been prohibited by a ban treaty. Now, ban treaties, they don't solve the problem overnight. They don't uninvent the weapon. 
but they do change how the world perceives it and they have a range of impacts that pressure the countries that use the weapons to disarm or to reduce their, the role of these weapons in their security doctrines. And we've seen this already with all of the weapons that I just mentioned. For Australia, we have signed all of the other treaties that ban landmines and cost munitions, biological and chemical weapons. And we've also done that at times when the United States has not signed those treaties and has not, and still has not signed those treaties, but we've been able to take an independent stand on that. It's really important that Australia signs this treaty so that we're no longer endorsing the potential use of nuclear weapons. It's also supported by the public. 79% of the public support Australia signing onto this treaty, according to an opinion poll from Ipsos last November. I think you'll see across a broad cross-section of society, people really expect that Australia will sign onto this treaty and that we won't support these weapons. A range of organisations like the Australian Medical Association, the Australian Red Cross, have all said these weapons are not useful, they are not acceptable in any circumstances. There's no way that the Red Cross, for example, can actually deal with a nuclear weapons detonation and they've clearly called on Australia to sign and ratify this treaty. So it really comes down to the humanitarian impacts of the weapon. And as long as we continue to support them in some way, then we're anticipating that those impacts will happen again. And that's never acceptable. In the past, then, what have sort of been the reasons why Australia hasn't joined the treaty? Yeah, so the reason that Australia hasn't joined the treaty yet, so it's only, it's just two years old now, and this is what we've gleaned through Senate estimates and freedom of information documents. What the government says is that, oh, they're concerned about the treaty, they don't think it will have an impact, or they think that it, it, that it might undermine other treaties that we're a part of. That's all smoke and mirrors. The treaty clearly works alongside other treaties that we've signed up to, like the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. It clearly is effective. That's why the nuclear arms states are so opposed to it because they don't want countries to be signing this and undermining what they perceive as their right to continue having these nuclear weapons. So these are not the real reasons. The real reason that the Australian government has not signed on yet is because of that policy that exists in our defence policy that we rely on the US nuclear arsenal for our protection. And thus far, the Australian government has been unwilling to review that and unwilling to address that and to end that policy, which is what the treaty really requires. So the treaty outlaws the possession, development, use, threat of use, stockpiling, transfer of nuclear weapons, and also outlaws assisting, encouraging, or inducing another country to do any of those prohibited acts. So at the moment, um, Australia is in breach of the terms of the treaty, so we would have to end our policy that says um, we rely on the US nuclear umbrella, uh, we'd have to end that to, to be compliant with this treaty. And so far, the Australian government has been reluctant to do that, and largely out of a concern for impacts on the US alliance and whether uh, we can sign this treaty and still maintain a strong military alliance with the US, which according to um, a number of legal opinions and the report that we're releasing this week, uh, Australia absolutely can maintain a military alliance with the United States that excludes nuclear weapons. Now, I understand you're going to be in Alice Springs uh, later this week. What, what's bringing you here to the Red Centre? I'm honoured to be invited to deliver the second annual Yami Lester Memorial Address. 
Um, many of your listeners, I'm sure, would know of the late, great Yami Lester, uh, Yankanjata Elder, from Wallatina, who was blinded by nuclear testing in the 1950s. Um, he was an incredible advocate for Aboriginal rights and also to uh, acknowledge and recognise the harm done by nuclear testing in Australia in the 1950s and 60s. So the local group, the Alice Springs Peace Action Think Tank, are hosting this memorial lecture. Uh, the first one last year, uh, the speaker was Karina Lester, one of Yami's daughters, and she's Karina is also an ambassador for, for ICANN. So this year I'm delivering the address and part of my role will be to launch a report that we are releasing this week, which is called Choosing Humanity. And it outlines uh, the case in detail for why Australia should sign on to the Nuclear Weapon Ban Treaty. And obviously uh, some important dates coming up as well. Obviously the, the anniversary of um, when bombs were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima as well. So obviously a very topical time to release a report like this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Tomorrow is the 74th anniversary of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and on Friday it's the anniversary of the, the bombing of Nagasaki. So this week is a really important one to to remember how people have suffered and to commemorate those people who lost their lives and continue to, to deal with, to suffer the intergenerational health impacts of the use of nuclear weapons in Japan as well as the testing of nuclear weapons worldwide. And that's a really important part of the story in Australia. So we've, we've actually seen the impacts of nuclear weapons in this country. It's a part of Australia's history that is often swept under the rug and the people who are still suffering, very few of them have had recognition or compensation or help to deal with their health problems. So it's really still a, a big issue and a sore point. Um, and that's, I mean, that underscores really the another of the reasons that Australia should sign on to this treaty because we know that there's nothing that good nothing good that comes out of them and the their development and their use has catastrophic humanitarian consequences that doesn't only affect the people then and there but then leaves a radioactive legacy on the land that continues to affect the water systems, food systems and human health for generations into the future. Now, I understand a lot of uh, individuals and bodies and organisations also contributed to this report as well. Can you detail? Can you mention some of the people who have contributed to this report? Yes, yeah, certainly. So uh, there are a few chapters um, which have been written by ICANN Australia and a number of uh, people and organisations have uh, contributed short articles um, to it. So that includes uh, the former High Court Judge Michael Kirby, um, the former President of the Australian Human Rights Commission, Professor Gillian Triggs, uh, faith groups, including the Uniting Church in Australia, um, parliamentarians, including from all, all parties in the federal parliament, and there's an article from the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese. And there's also, there are also some articles from um, nuclear test survivors or um, second-generation nuclear test survivors, including Karina Lester. There's a poem from the Marshallese uh, poet, Cathy Daniel-Pigeoner, um, and, and lots, of, lots of great contributions to really demonstrate uh, the breadth of support for this treaty and the range of arguments for why Australia should be signing on to it. And I think you mentioned an important thing, you know, when you were discussing the fact that uh, 
often a lot of the stuff that happened here in regards to things like testing is often unknown or it is swept under the rug. Is is the hopes that you know discussions like this, reports like this, you know the different events that we are having not only here in Alice Springs but across the country and other places around the world as well that we can shine some more light on this and, and make people more aware of the impacts these things have had on countries right across the world? I think the more people know about the real-world impacts of these weapons and the more urgent they realise that it is to take all steps that we can to end this nuclear threat. It's, it's 74 years since these weapons were invented. It's easy to imagine that it's inevitable that they will continue, but it's actually a choice that we have collectively as to whether we allow these weapons to continue, and that's something that everybody needs to be involved in. And we've seen over recent years that the risk of use of these weapons is only increasing. Almost all of the other international treaties or bilateral agreements between countries are under threat or they're collapsing. We just saw last week the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty basically be suspended to a point of collapse now and that's a really important treaty that's more than 30 years old between the US and Russia which prohibited a particular type of weapon. You know the end of that treaty could mean that that both of those countries move to develop certain kinds of weapons again and that only increases uh, the possibility and in, in fact the inevitability that these weapons will be used. We can't continue being so lucky for them not to be used either in war or by accident. So the more people know about the real current threat and the, the legacy of these weapons, then the easier it will be for them to, to take action. And we are very thankful that right now we do have a very useful vehicle. This treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons uh, provides the perfect opportunity for nations to be non-compliant with the nuclear order. This is a way that countries can turn away from these weapons and then use, join the treaty and use that as a diplomatic tool to pressure the nuclear arms states. So far, 70 countries have signed on, 24 have ratified. Uh, we're expecting a, a bunch more in September. There'll be a signing ceremony at the UN And once the treaty reaches 50 ratifications, it will enter into force and become permanent international law. Australia constantly has a choice now. That that choice is ever-present until we join this treaty. Then it will be the expectation of the Australian community that Australia does uh, sign and ratify. That was uh, Jam Rommel, the, the Australian director of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And in regards to the, uh, the details for the second Yami Lester Memorial Address, if you are looking to attend that here in, in Bantua, Alice Springs, it's going to be happening on Friday, the 9th of August at uh, 6.30pm. It's going to be at uh, Kunga's Kitchen. Uh, that's in Diorama Village here in Alice Springs. Yeah, it's going to be $25 per person. And you have to RSVP by today. Uh, so if you do want to get involved in that, you can uh, call 04050 474043. Or you can email MCIFALI at bigpond.com. We're going to go to a track now and then we'll be right back with our next interview. This is Pam from Karma, and you're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. 
Australia's peak body for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander media has been announced has announced that uh, Arunda Literature Woman Catherine Little will be taking up the role of CEO. There will be a three-month uh, handover period with the outgoing general manager Daniel Featherstone. Uh, Miss Little starting will then start her role back uh, later in the year on the 14th of October. Karma's Damien Williams caught up with the outgoing uh, general manager, Daniel Featherstone, about the appointment. We're very pleased to have Catherine coming on board. Um, so that's taken us a little while to get to this stage. So we've quite a um, process that the board have gone through. But yeah, very, very happy to have um, Catherine joining the team. What will happen, Catherine's still finishing up in her current role at Jarwan as the regional director and will start up at First Nations Media on the 14th of October, so in a couple of months, and then we'll have um, a three-month handover process. So I've been working at uh, at First Nations Media since it was IRCA back in 2012, so there's a bit, of, um, bit to hand over, but we'll do that over the um, end of the year in the lead-up to Converge, our national conference that we're holding with Karma, and we'll also be doing a, um, a bit of, in the early part of 2020 uh, as we start the, um, the plans for the year. Catherine will then take over the reins. Um, I'll be stepping out and, um, you know, maybe doing some other work with First Nations Media in the future, but Catherine will be taking over from there. I was just wondering as well, what other work will you be doing... Um around First Nations media? Oh, look, it's really up to the board at this stage. Um, you know, there's quite a number of projects that First Nations media is involved in with our Indigimob project, Indigitube, the archiving platform. We're, you know, looking at supporting the sector with news development. So it really comes down to, you know, what the board would like other support with going forward. Um, obviously, I'll be available to support Catherine you know, in settling into the role um, remotely. But I'll be actually relocating from Alice Springs to Castlemaine next year. And um, and so, yeah, able to provide other remote support for for the organisation. And um, um, But otherwise, yeah, able to start doing other consultancy work with the sector, if, if um, not with First Nations Media. So since uh, joining IRCA and uh, working uh, with the First Nations media as it changed to uh, the First Nations Media Australia, what kind of things uh, have you seen, the changes, and um, what kind of things have you been a part of that's uh, really stood out to you and, and made you proud? Yeah, look, I'm very proud of the, you know, the, the changes that we've had over the years. We've um, grown IRCA from being, you know, a single-person role uh, as the remote peak body um, and built that up and had, you know, a range of projects that we started. We've had um, in Digimob that we've started as a digital mentors project, which has been moving into its fourth year now. We've had in Digitube as the content sharing platform. We've done a lot of work with the sector and um, increased the funding to the remote sector and got um, you know, a range of upgrades in terms of equipment and satellite, you know, got the radio satellite channels over to a full full bandwidth, 256 um, stereo radio channels on the satellite. We've also seen um, an increase in the workforce across the sector. There's still lots of things to do, but, you know, we've had 
quite a number of changes. But, of course, the big one has been the shift to being the national peak body. So we um, have transitioned IRCA through over the last three years from being the remote peak body to being national and have brought on board the all the urban and regional radio services and media organisations and really got everyone working together. And um, I feel like we've, you know, we've got a unity in the sector and a clear direction with our, our calls for action and our, our Media Matters campaign. That, that clarity of purpose and what we're trying to achieve collectively is probably the, the, you know, the best cooperation we've had in the whole sector since I was started in, back in 2001. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very proud of the achievements. I'm very proud of the fact that we've grown our, our um, organisation to have um, primarily Indigenous people working in all of our roles, um, particularly in the peak body positions. We've got now um, five of the six roles will be Indigenous. And, um, you know, right across our organisation, we've created um, a really strong, culturally safe workplace um, and built that leadership um, for the sector. So, you know, there's a range of things that I'm really proud of. Um, we've been working on supporting news development, building, you know, we've got our workforce action plan. We've been getting some really good change in terms of government policy and engagement and all things that we've worked on for a long time across the whole sector uh, are really starting to take effect now. And of course, our events, you know, the Converge National Conference has been a really positive um, environment for everyone to share their ideas, um, celebrate their achievements and really work towards where we want to go in the future. So that those um, we've, we're moving into our fourth Converge Conference this year. And, um, and that's been, you know, able to get everyone working together. The First Nation Media Awards that we launched last year um, celebrating the excellence in the sector. So, you know, that's, again, something that the sector's been calling for for, you know, as long as I remember. Um, so we're really getting, you know, a lot of the things that, that people want uh, in terms of support and representation uh, happening. So I'm really pleased with that. And, Daniel, uh, just wanted to ask as well... Um you know, if there was any advice or anything you could uh, give Catherine um, that would uh, uh, help her along the way, what kind of uh, things would you say to her? Oh, look, Catherine's going to have her own way of, of um, approaching the role. But, you know, look, the main thing is listening to what people want and, and working out how to support that. You know, the peak body can't be everything, but it is something that provides a, a leadership and a direction and we've you know we've seen that transition to a much more multimedia convergent sector over the years and we've been trying to support that transition that change across the whole sector Catherine is you know very familiar with a lot of that from her work at NITV and most recently at ICTV but it's all about you know listening and you know keeping in touch with everyone and really knowing you know what people are dealing with on the ground, so that you can represent that in the um, in the national platform. You know, as, as talking with government and other stakeholders, um, you've got to be able to know what the real story is for people working, you know, at the coalface. I'm looking forward to um, the opportunity when Catherine does start up to, you know, do some of that handover, particularly when we have our Converge National Conference in Alice Springs in November, the end of November. 
um, she'll be able to properly introduce to everyone in the sector and really give a chance to start taking that leadership role. So, you know, once that happens, I'm sure you'll be having the conversations with her rather than with me, and I'll be supporting from behind. On that note, uh, Daniel Featherstone, thanks very much uh, for talking to us here on Come Radio. Thanks very much, Damien. That was the uh, general manager of the First Nations Media Australia, Daniel Featherstone, ending that uh, interview from Karma's Damien Williams. We're going to go to a quick break now, and then we'll be right back with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from across the country. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. That's right, you're listening to Strong Voices. You're here with me, Kyle Dowling. Great to have your company today. And I'm very happy to welcome into the Karma Radio studios is uh, Karma's Damien Williams. Good morning, Damien. Good morning, Kyle, and uh, good morning to all our listeners out there. Well, it is time for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from across the country. And uh, as we mentioned at the top of the program, obviously a significant event over the weekend with the Garma Festival from Friday to last Monday. Yes, and, um, you know, Garma's always uh, a place where um, people, uh, especially the uh, um, Yolngu mob up there, um, have used the festival as a platform to um, talk about Aboriginal issues that uh, the country is facing and, and, um, you know, calling for governments to, um, yeah, do whatever needs to be done and stuff like that. And a lot of people do uh, go to it, uh, you know, even... um, Prime Ministers and all the other Ministers and, and stuff like that usually go to um, Gama Festival to hear what um, is being said and uh, yeah, again this year um, they've had people, um, you know, such as Professor Marshall Langdon um, uh, I think Minister Ken White went there as well. Interestingly I my understanding is the Prime Minister Scott Morrison was actually absent this year as well, mm. which, which some people, you know, have I guess drawn some criticism towards that. Yeah, and, and over the years there have been some prime ministers that hadn't gone, and opposition leaders that have gone and sort of uh, you know uh, talked about why the prime minister's not there and all that kind of stuff. And um, but uh, you, you, the Yothi Indy Foundation um, chief uh, spoke as well at at Gama, um, uh, Denise, but. Uh, Bowen, um, saying governments spending money on urban centres and tourists instead of uh, tackling disadvantage. And um, here's a a piece from The Guardian that said, um, um, this is uh, the chief executive's words, Aboriginal people are prisoners to incompetence and uh, maled... maladministration by governments that spend on urban centres and tourists instead of tackling rampant disadvantage um, and the uh, well um, that was Denise Bowen's words um, speaking at the festival on, on in North East Arnhem Land the chief executive of the foundation um, took aim at the Northern Territory government and the Commonwealth uh, which uh, she said had responsibility for the NT and for the rivers of gold that its GST formula um, sends to Darwin as well. Um, For the moment, the Northern Territory government is unwilling or unable to respond to the deep outrage around deeply flawed processes, decision-making and funding models, um, she was saying, and, and the Commonwealth created the system that is currently in play in the Territory, 
and has sat by and allowed it to continue un, undebated, um, dining out on the back of Aboriginal misery. So uh, a lot of... Um, criticisms of the uh, government um, this year as well, uh, Mm. as we've seen. Very strong words. And obviously a a big focus of this year was, you know, looking at, uh, you know, voice to parliament, looking at, you know, constitutional recognition as well. So definitely very topical issues that a a lot of people are discussing. Yeah. um, And I mean, you know, the big focus um, pretty much around the country now is... uh, you know, recognition, um, the voice to parliament, um, treaty processes as well around the country. And, um, you know, those discussions uh, are just continuing to happen. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to see what uh, comes out um, to the end of the year. And what are some of the other people that have, that have spoken about this, Damien? Um, well, um, this is from the new um, ABC um, with... Uh, Mick Dodson and Ashley Raymond stressing the importance of uh, young Aboriginal voices in treaty consultations as well. Indigenous youth must be involved in the treaty consultations if they are to be successful. Northern Territory uh, Treaty Commissioner Mick Dodson and his deputy Ashley Raymond said that and speaking at Gama um, in Arnhem Land, Mr. Dodson and his newly appointed uh, deputy, Ms. Raymond, um, provided an update on their stage uh, two-stage treaty consultation process, which they announced earlier this year. Um, Mick Dodson uh, said, firstly, have to consider and report on the level of interest in, in a treaty and what comes out what comes are possible and what um, it will achieve. And... Um, he, he was saying that uh, it's his job to negotiate a treaty or treaties that comes after um, uh, he's done his job. So, um, yeah, Mick Dodson uh, and Ursula Raymond, um, you know, stressing the importance of uh, having having uh, young people um, have those discussions as well. Because as we know, well, you know, they're going to be the leaders into the future as well. So um, th- that's very important as well. And I think the perfect opportunity, you've got so many people within that space within Gama, attending mm. Gama, you know, as, as we know, it can be quite difficult to get out to, you know, speak to as many people as you possibly can within a role like that. I think that Mick Dodson himself has acknowledged that as one of the biggest challenges. So I think, you know, an event like Gama is obviously something that's going to bring together a lot of people and, you know, at various levels and, and within communities and then they get to have those conversations, which I think is great. Yeah, and like I was saying, you know, it has it is able to be a big platform for those kind of discussions. Mm. Well, on that note, uh, Damien, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. We're going to head to a track now and then we'll be right back. Hey, you fellas, this is Gail Mabe. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio, 8Kin FM. Well, as we mentioned, uh, from Friday the 2nd to Monday the 5th of August marked the 21st Gama Festival. The event saw business leaders, political leaders, academics and many others this year uh, coming together and focusing on an Indigenous voice to Parliament and things like constitutional recognition as well. Well, this morning we're going to hear a report from The Wire's uh, Rob Osborne. The Gama Festival in East Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory is the largest Indigenous gathering in Australia. Now celebrating its 21st year, the festival combines music, dance, cultural activities and, over the years, 
has become a major focus for political discussion and debate. Here's Yothu Yindi Foundation CEO, Denise Bowden, opening the key forum discussions that are an important part of the festival. I'm sure even those who may have been here before are on a fast learning curve. The weather, the bush, the sway of the stringy bark under the canopy of Arnhem Land stars, all a cocktail of ingredients upon which we are blessed to conduct this year's 2019 event. Welcome to the bush, the very remote northeast Arnhem Land, the home of the Yungle people, your hosts. One of the main speakers this year is Thomas Mayer, the National Indigenous Officer for the CFMMEU and a strong advocate for the Uluru Statement. I asked him first what the festival represents for him. The highlights have been the Yolngu culture and resistance as well, as in their continuing stoic push for structural reform based on their lessons from the past, how a mine was forced onto their land and without any consultation originally and the Yakala Bark petitions that came from that. So the highlight has really been their continuing resistance, but also the national basis of how this place is very much a part of a movement for constitutional recognition that is in the form of a voice and not merely symbolic. Here at the festival, you're discussing how to carry the demand for a voice to parliament forward. What's your view now? We need to continue to grow a people's movement. I don't feel that the government are moving quick enough on this. I don't feel that they have the will to achieve precisely what the Uluru Statement called for, which is a constitutionally enshrined First Nations voice, a representative body that is uh, permanent and cannot be undone like previous representative bodies. So what's next is for the Australian people to continue to learn about and get behind the Uluru Statement and put the politicians in a position where... They have no choice but to put it to the people because the people want to answer the invitation in the Euro Statement. Do you share Kem Wyatt's caution about the timing and the wording of a referendum? Yeah, you know, I mean, some of it is justified, but the lead needs to be taken on this from his position. He's the first Aboriginal minister in Cabinet, the first Aboriginal minister for Aboriginal Australians, they call it now. And so caution... It's important, but caution in a public basis where every speech is expressing the fear of losing is not leadership. It doesn't demonstrate a will to go out and win this. And if any, if anybody thinks that we can accept anything less than constitutional recognition by way of a First Nations voice, they're kidding themselves because there's been an unprecedented national process that has determined that proposal that is very reasonable and quite conservative in nature, yet powerful enough to make some really important changes in this country. That was Thomas Mayer, the National Indigenous Officer at the CFMMEU, ending that report from the wires, Rob Osborne. That's going to conclude Strong Voices for this uh, Tuesday morning. Thank you for tuning in. If you missed any of the stories or wanted to listen back to the program, I'll be posting up a podcast of uh, Strong Voices up on our Karma SoundCloud later this afternoon. And uh, stay tuned because we'll be having some great music after the 12 o'clock news with the lunchtime gig and Strong Voices, of course, will be back the same time tomorrow from 11 to 12. Stay safe and enjoy the rest of your day.